All right. Uh, welcome, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Always a joy to see each one of you and to pray with you today. Let's just uh, pause to pray before we look into God's holy word. Father, we need your spirit right now as we speak, listen, understand, believe, pray, and obey the truths that you reveal to us in your word. Lord, we'd ask that you would revive us again, anew and afresh in this hour, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would like to focus our thoughts today on the first, um, the very first time uh, that the derivative word of revival is found in the um, English version. It's actually in Genesis 45, if you want to, to, talk, uh, to turn there. It's not about an actual revival in a church as we think of, but it's a revived spirit, a revived spirit. And Genesis 45 is one of those chapters I wish, uh, I'm sure it's on the top five of my uh, places, I wish I could have been the proverbial fly on the wall in the scripture to see what uh, happened in the house of Joseph on that day when um, it begins with Joseph weeping uncontrollably and so loudly that um, people in other rooms in the house could hear him uh, cry out loud. He was with his brothers and revealed himself to his brothers saying, I am Joseph. And uh, they were absolutely gobsmacked. that's a word I learned from Sinclair Ferguson. So um, they were just terrified. And uh, Joseph said to them, come near to me. And again, he told them who he was and how God had placed him to be the prince in Egypt, uh, second in command to the most powerful man in the world at that time. He told them all that had happened for those 22 years, and he told them not to to fear, for it was not actually they in the end who sent them, who sent him to Egypt. It was God who sent him ahead to preserve many lives. He weeps some more. He kisses them. He hugs them. They talk for a long time. And then he says to them, now I want you to go get dad, bring back dad, our father. I want to see him again quickly. Pharaoh hears about this in Genesis 45, and he does some amazing things that really reflect the heart of God. Uh, First of all, he gives them a solemn promise. He says, I want you to return here, and I'm going to reserve for you the best of the land. Uh, In order for you to make this move, I'm going to send the best wagons from my own fleet back with you to Canaan. Um, And these were not the kind of Stoga wagons we in America often think of in watching the old Western movies. Um, It would be equivalent today to somebody saying, you can take my personal private Learjet uh, to get back to where you need to go. Um, And he gives an interesting plea. He says, and and forget about all the stuff that you brought already. It's not going to amount to anything. You're going to have so much more. And I'm going to give you a full provision. Um, Have no concerns for anything that you need. I said that kind of parallels the heart of God for Jesus, for example, in John 14, uh, tells us he's, he's preparing a place for us. It's the best in the land in heaven. And he gives us a promise in John 14 through 16, the pledge, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, then Paul reminds us that God's going to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So after these uh, instructions from Pharaoh that are relayed to Joseph, Joseph tells them to go and bring Jacob back. And we pick up the story in verse 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and told Jacob, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. That could be translated, it stood still. It was absolutely numb. For he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, when he saw the wa- and when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a fascinating text. It says here that Jacob's heart was numb. It was, um, it was fainting. It was standing still. And he didn't believe the initial reports of his sons. You know, that's just like us sometimes, isn't it? Uh, many times we struggle with unbelief. And uh, there's a variety of reasons why we do, a variety of reasons why Jacob, no doubt, struggled with unbelief. One of those was probably doubt in his mind because he, he, here he was being told something that was totally contrary to what he had believed for 22 years of his life. He thought his son was dead, and now they say he's alive. Uh, this news sounded too good to be true. And furthermore, uh, if you study Jacob's life, he has this tendency to kind of believe the bad news in spite of good news. He's kind of, you might call him the perpetual pessimist at times. And uh, some of us suffer from that, uh, that uh, mindset at times. So there's doubt, there's difficulties as well. Just, just process what Joseph was hearing if or Jacob was hearing, if Joseph is in Egypt and he's going to see him alive, that's going to create um, a lot of hardship for him. He's going to have to travel to Egypt and he knows the history. That didn't go too well for his grandfather, Abraham, and even his father, Isaac, wanted to go to Egypt and he was told not to do so. So this was counterintuitive. It would have been a a hard trip and uh, there was a lot of uncertainty and risk involved. And sometimes as we pray for revival, we want revival, but we know there's a great cost to revival. And sometimes we, we may in our flesh just prefer the way things are, even though they're not the way that we want them to totally be. And we can miss God's blessing when we know that that blessing will, will cost us greatly, uh, maybe in some way or another through difficult circumstances. And I think thirdly, there was despair and Um, As brothers and sisters in Christ, we sometimes wrestle with despair, the giant despair. If you recall, just a chapter earlier, Jacob um, was told that if they would go down a second time with if the brothers returned with Benjamin, then 
uh, that might uh, be helpful. And Jacob was absolutely opposed to that. And after many months, he finally acquiesced and gave in, but it was a half-hearted attempt. And he said, well, I've lost Joseph. I'm probably never going to see Simeon. I'm probably going to lose Benjamin. And if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Um, he, he was in despair. And you know what, friends, when disappointing things happen in our life, we have a choice on how we can process those things. We can, we can think the worst and give in to despair and believe that God has forsaken us, that God has forgotten us, that everything's against us. Or we can hear the promises of God and be encouraged. We can look at the evidence of God's faithfulness and look to the Lord himself and say, no, the Lord will not forsake me. The Lord will not leave me. The Lord is for me. So we see a fainting, numb heart, much like our hearts when we even come to prayer every day. But what changed his perspective? What revived his spirit? Notice one of the things was the eyewitness testimony of the sons. Um, just like we have the eyewitness testimony of scripture, of those who had heard and seen and touched and lived with Jesus. Uh, and yet his heart was still fainting. But the text goes on, verse 27. They told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father revived. It was restored. It was replenished. It was reignited, kind of like uh, the fire that you have in the camp, uh, the campground um, or in your fire pit in your backyard. And it's just about to go out and you give it more oxygen or more kindling wood. And all of a sudden the embers reignite. That's the that's the picture here of revival occurring in Jacob's life. And so he heard the words of Joseph, and they rang true, just like we hear the words of Jesus, and we pray those back to him in prayer. And then finally, he saw the wagons, and his spirit revived. He saw the evidence of, of faithfulness, just like we look for the evidence of God's faithfulness which often revives our spirits. I love that the story ends, though, not in verse 27 with him seeing the wagons, but in verse 28. He looks beyond the gifts. He looks beyond the, uh, the bounty that they have brought back. And he looks and he says, I want to go see my son. And just like we enjoy the gifts that God blesses us and the answers to prayer that he gives us and the revival that he sends us, but we're not satisfied with just all the good things. We want to see the giver and we worship God himself. So friends today, maybe you are like me many times where you're doubting. Maybe you've got some despair right now, or you're, we're praying through difficulties with you. Just remember that old song. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. This ends my fears and doubts. Difficulties, doubts, and despair rob us of our hope in many areas, even as we carry on day in and day out praying for revival. But may God's gracious spirit stir the embers of our heart today, even if they're barely flickering when you come together with others. 
and may our hearts truly be revived. May we be able to sing in our own hearts, we praise thee, O God, for the spirit of life, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again.